So I'm Sandy, and uh, I'd like to open the Word of God with you today to uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. If you want to turn to that, we can read together. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So you bow your head in prayer with me. Father, first just want to thank you for supplying us with a worship team that leads us in spirit and truth to worship you. And... Uh, Thank you for the opportunity to come together over your word and be taught by you and to love each other and encourage each other. Just ask for your Holy Spirit to just come move in our hearts and in our minds. Um, help us to understand your word. Protect us from error um, and just help it all take root in our hearts as you, according to your will. And we all pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So the book of Hebrews that we're reading from was written about 70 AD, which was uh, about 35 years after Jesus ascended into heaven. It was written by an unknown author, um, but it was almost certainly an apostle. That's, we don't know who it was, but it, it seems to be. Um, in any case, uh, this word that we're reading from the book of Hebrews came through a man's pen, but from God. Um, the Hebrews themselves were probably mostly Jewish Christians um, who were looking back at the law and... Uh, oh, yeah. Time out. Children, you are dismissed. Thank you. I just wanted them to hear that first part. <laughs> so the, the Jewish Christians that were part of the Hebrews uh, that this letter came to were looking back at the Old Testament and the law, um, sort of like ancient Israel was looking back at Egypt and their slavery there as Moses was leading them out of captivity and slavery into the promised land, um, giving them their freedom, God supplying every need miraculously for ancient Israel, yet they said, what's with this freedom and, and, you know, and, and, and this strange manna? Let's go back to the slavery in Egypt where we had bread. So that's kind of how the Hebrews were looking back at the law in Old Testament um, and uh, just kind of with nostalgia. Um, so just like the ancient Israelites, they did not get to enter the promised land due to their unbelief and their disobedience. And so likewise, the Hebrews and we 
are all in danger if we fail to trust and rely on Jesus Christ for all that he truly is. So let's go through this passage and try to see and hear what God is saying to us. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. Isn't that amazing? God spoke. There's people listening to satellites, look, you know, trying to decipher fuzz. Maybe it's an alien. Maybe aliens are trying to talk to us. Maybe we can get a word from some, somewhere and, uh, and figure out what's going on in this universe. Um, but no, God spoke. God spoke, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who declares the end from the beginning and then brings it to pass. He spoke to us. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's pretty amazing. Just right there. God is not silent, but why? Why did God speak to us? Because God created us. And he means to communicate to us that he is, that he is the end of our search for meaning and hope and peace and joy. He's the end of that search. That's why he spoke to us. Only by seeing God clearly and loving him dearly can we find the one who both created and fulfills our deepest needs. That is why he spoke, so we could see him, know him, and love him, and be totally fulfilled in him for now and eternity. So God spoke in many different times and ways. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. Why did he speak at many times and in many ways? I'm, I'm the third and the first batch of kids from my parents, right in the middle, but it's actually one, two, three, ten years, four, five. And, uh, you know, we all had the same, all of, the, all of my brothers and sisters, we all had, uh, this, have the same needs of unconditional love and provision and protection, um, education, Discipline. We all had those same needs, but my parents just, you know, we're all different. He had to speak to us all differently. Um, some, some of the ways, some of us learned better than others. But, um, but nevertheless, you know, we all had to receive that in different ways. Um, the uh, people are different, right? Just people are different. Uh, even in the same family, people are different. God knows this, and he has communicated in various ways to various people, such as the Binumerian people. So I'm going to tell a short story about the Binumerian people. I'm amazed that I could say that correctly. This is the first time I've pronounced that correctly. Um, but the Wycliffe Bible translator sent Des and Jenny Oatridge with their, baby and with their baby daughter to the Binumerian tribe in Papua New Guinea to learn their unwritten language so that they could translate the Bible and the people could see and read God's word in their native tongue. When Des told Jenny, we finished the last of Matthew today, she replied, knowing something about that, what about the first 17 verses? Oh, yes, those uninteresting verses that told of Jesus' ancestry back to Abraham. They had to be tackled before he had really finished the book. Surprisingly, Sisia, who was the language helper and was also a leader of the tribe, had, uh, 
had sailed through that long genealogy without any boredom. Um, he made no comment on the translation, as he often did. And uh, when he rose, he said with some deliberation, there's going to be an important meeting at Namipi's house tonight. I want you to come and bring what we've done today. So Des wondered, what's he up to? Why a meeting tonight? Maybe he wants to celebrate finishing Matthew. But why does he particularly want me to bring what we've translated today? That night, there were more people packed into the house than he had ever seen. Sisia, who is the language helper and tribal leader, began telling his people, I can't tell this to you. I want you to hear it for yourself. The room became extraordinarily still. Des was conscious that all eyes were focused on him. He cleared his throat and began to read. These are the ancestors of Jesus Messiah, a descendant of King David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah. As Des read, the room closed in on him. The people so engrossed, they pressed in close, so their beards almost touched the page he was reading from. With an unusual silence in the room, Des didn't know if the list of names he had, if the list of names they had translated had offended some tribal taboo or what. They heard him out. Des raised his eyes to look at those with a bre- within a breath of his face and saw not anger but astonishment. Why didn't you tell us all this before? One tribal leader said. No one bothers to write down the ancestors of spirit beings, another leader stated. It's only real people who record their genealogical table. Jesus must be a real person, someone cried. Then everyone seemed to be talking at once. Fourteen generations, that's two hands and a foot from Abraham to King David, and two more hands and a foot to the time of the captivity, and another two hands and a foot till Jesus' time. That's a very, very long time. This ancestry goes back further than ours. Yes, none of ours goes back two hands and a foot three times. Jesus must have been a real man on this earth then. He's not just white man's magic. Then what the mission has taught us is real. Yes, real. Des pondered on that as he made his way home. The ancient list of names, which he had always found boring and pretty well meaningless, had confirmed Jesus as a real person to his friends. He possessed a genealogy like their own. To the Binumarians, the truth of the scriptures was now beyond doubt. God chooses the times and ways he communicates to his creation. He created us, and he knows how and when to speak to us to achieve his good purposes. So long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. He hasn't spoken by arranging stars according to our birthdays, telling us how to live by what month matches up with animal-shaped star patterns. He hasn't spoken by lines on our palms and if it goes this way or if it goes that way. Not by cloud formations. He hasn't spoken through people who've died, gone to heaven, then come back to tell us all about what heaven's like. No, he didn't speak in any of those ways. But he has spoken, and clearly man was made to hear God's voice because man has been looking for it everywhere. 
God has chosen to speak to human beings through human beings who, being carried along by the Holy Spirit, have penned words in books that span millennia. And these books, written and preserved across human history, are perfectly uniform in their message. A message that is veiled in that group of testimonies that we call old, and a perfectly clear in what came not next, but last. So long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So these are the last days, 2,000 years and counting. That's a long time for last days. What does last days mean? Russia just attacked Ukraine this last week, right? And it's anybody's guess what's next. You know, Ukraine wins, Russia wins, World War III. I, who knows? I don't know what's going to happen. But the world knew World War II was over when the final decisive blows were dealt to Germany and Japan. Even before anything was signed and borders were redrawn, the world celebrated victory. The war against our enemy ended 2,000 years ago. But as someone like myself who grew up around a lot of venomous snakes in Texas, even a snake that you've killed still has the power to, to bite. It can still bite you even after it's dead, still can inject venom for a little while. But our enemy was defeated 2,000 years ago, and that's when the last days began. So long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. <clears throat> so God spoke by his son. Let's see if anybody can finish this verse for me. It should be pretty fresh from week 14 weekly connection branches. Luke 9.34 as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they, answered, as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. There was a mix of answers, but I heard listen to him in there. So Jesus' person himself and his words expressed the character and will of God. Jesus' words on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection in Luke 24. You remember when he was walking with the disciples and the disciples couldn't recognize him? Um, starting in verse 22, they were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not, this is the disciples describing the scene to Jesus, not knowing it was Jesus. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The Old Testament speaks of Jesus. Matthew 13, 16 says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. That's us. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. 
we get to see Jesus clearly, clearly and hear him clearly. Um, something Moses didn't even get to do till the Mount of Transfiguration anyway. Um, 2 Corinthians 3.10 says, Indeed, in this case, what has once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. Jesus is the glory that surpasses it. So yes, the Old Testament is big and instructive, but it refers to Jesus, who encompasses the whole of Revelation in himself, and he better represents the reality. And in fact, he is the final revelation. Don't look for new revelation from God. We have his final revelation, Jesus Christ. A friend that I respect and admire said recently, the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. We understand the Old Testament by reading the New Testament and the New Testament by reading the Old Testament. You know, my friend Valerian? So that's exactly right. We can understand the Old Testament by, by reading the New Testament and seeing Jesus clearly in it. Um, so I'll come back to that in, a, in just a minute. Um, but for now, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. So the son has been appointed the heir of all things. All, everything, 100%. Nothing omitted, all that is, everything excepting the father himself is the son's. And we who believe, that is, trust in, rely on, and adhere to Jesus Christ, are fellow heirs with Christ. That's amazing. Everything that he owns is ours to inherit. Just let that land for a minute. I don't have to clamor and scrape for every scrap of pleasure I can get in this world. I don't have to achieve everything that's possible to achieve in this life as though this were it. If this was it, then sure, eat, sleep, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we're dead and gone. Life with no regrets, right? But no, there will be regrets. There is infinite pleasure to be had in eternal fellowship with the inventor of pleasure, the one who thought of taste, the creator who designed color, the curator of all of nature, and the giver of comfort. In eternal fellowship with the ancient of days, there is ultimate, complete, and eternal fulfillment, not just temporary fulfillment. We are designed to be in eternal fellowship with God when the reality of judgment in eternity following is imposed face-to-face -face on people who choose to reject the most primal instinct of fellowship with God. It's not eating food. Our most primal urge is to have fellowship with God. There will be regret for those who reject that instinct, but that regret will be futile that's reality. So, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The father created the world through the son. 
This is obviously very clear in John chapter 1, and of course this confirms it also. Um, Jesus predates his own birth. Before Abraham was, I am. He said that, and it almost got him stoned. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. This is very, very important. Jesus is not part of creation. He was not made. Jesus did the making. Whole heresies and false religions have come out of getting that wrong. In fact, the, the, one of the errors that the Hebrews appear to be making is diminishing Jesus Christ from his throne in the throne room to being part of his own creation like an angel. That would be funny if it weren't so blasphemous. It's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> angels, ministers, and messengers of God equated with God himself. I know about a liar who is an enemy of God and man, and uh, he's tried again and again and again to trick man and angels into the lie that God and man and angels are basically the same. That's pure insanity. That's what the enemy lies. That's the enemy's lie. No, he's not just like man. He's just not like his creation. He created his creation. So coming back to how God spoke by his, to us by his son, the next part of this verse says, <clears throat> he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. <clears throat> so um, the exact imprint of the father's nature, the radiance of, his, of the glory of God. Um, he's literally the exact duplicate of his nature. That's literally what, that's what the, that's what the, the, the word means, is exact duplicate, equal. I've learned to understand God's glory in the Bible. It says Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. So <clears throat> what I've come to understand glory to mean, how we def I can define that based on what the Bible tell us, tells us about God's glory, is that it is the inherent beauty of God's manifest character attributes and nature. So the, I'll just repeat that. The inherent beauty of God's manifest character, attributes, and nature is how I've come to understand the Bible teaches what God's glory is. So Jesus has perfectly manifested God's character on earth in the likeness of sinful flesh, but fully embodying the justice of God by supplying the sacrifice himself for God's wrath against sin thus fulfilling the re just requirement of the law and by teaching what true justice is, that we should do unto others as we would have them do to us. Jesus manifests the love of God for while we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though per perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God's love expressly manifested in Jesus in his sacrifice for us. And Jesus manifests God's power. Obviously, in all his miracles that we've been seeing in the uh, fresh encounters with Jesus that Valerian's been building us up with, 
But most notably, Jesus' power is manifested in his resurrection, from the, defeating the power of death over himself and for each, one, each and every one of us who trusts in, relies on Jesus Christ as Savior from our sins, Lord over your life, and the eternal treasure of your heart. Then he's defeated the power of death for you too. Jesus is the embodiment of God's grace. His unmerited favor toward believers is shown by honoring the weak, the lowly, the poor, thieves on crosses, criminals and outcasts as disciples and even apostles, whom he then, he then trusted to serve the apple of his eye, the bride, his church. What grace to show outcasts and criminals and, and the weak and the lowly to make them the ones to care for his bride. Jesus shows God's mercy repeatedly in the scriptures by not giving people what they do deserve. Matthew nine twenty seven, And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. Matthew fifteen twenty two, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And Mark ten forty seven. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And that is exactly what Jesus did and does. He loves us by giving the power over death freely to us undeserving sinners. You and I justifying us by faith in him. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus maintains the universe, and he does it all by his word. The word maintain... Um, is, is the, the word here is, 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 I don't know Greek, but I did a word study on this. It's the same as carry, bring, bear, or lead. <clears throat> and just a couple examples from the scriptures of this same word being used, the same way that Jesus maintains, upholds the universe. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. That's from Luke 5. And John 2 and he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. Take. That's the same word. Second Timothy 4. When you come, this is Paul talking to Timothy. When you come, bring the cloak that I left at Car with, with Carpus at Troas. Also the books and above all the parchments. Bring. Same word. So Jesus maintains the universe and he does it by his word. Have you ever wondered how God's word, his word, Words is active. Like, how does a word do anything? Hands and muscles do things. Words don't do things. People do things. But not with Jesus. When Jesus speaks, 
water molecules close in on each other and become footsteps. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem as the promised Messiah, even dirt and iron hardened into rock were standing ready to cry out Jesus as king. Even dirt and rock were ready to do that if man wasn't willing. Jesus create, created, maintains, and is Lord over every single molecule of creation. He reigns over Moscow's missiles. He has a, the authority over the strength of the bunkers in, in Kiev. At Jesus' word, the mountains fall into the sea. When the bread of life speaks, two loaves feed 5,000. His authority has no limits. From the surface of Mars to the depths of the Mariana Trench, in every school, at every workplace, in government war rooms, and secretive gatherings of the powerful, King Jesus is in command. Jesus' reach goes deeper than your misery and holds tighter than your weakest weakness. He reigns over your cataracts and your back pain. He has sovereignly orchestrated the cancer that was in Bob Padfield's body, the disease that was in my late mother's heart. And Jesus Christ's word would have stopped the plans of Satan to humiliate, torture, and murder the Son of God. But in the king's sovereign wisdom, he didn't stop what Satan meant for pure evil. Jesus turned it for the most glorious good imaginable, the purification of sins. So hear this from the, the book of Romans. Chapter 8, verse 3 says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. There's a preacher I, I like named John Piper, and uh, I like the way that he puts... He, the way he describes that verse. Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. Whose sin? Mine. Whose flesh? His. So Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for you and I. That was his choice. Satan planned it according to God's will. Just an amazing reality. Satan planned it according to God's will. Have you ever considered that the Lamb's Book of Life was the title of the book before the foundation of the world? Jesus was our sacrificial lamb for our sin. That was not an afterthought. It was planned before the world was made, before Adam sinned, and even before Mary gave birth. So King Jesus planned to be our sacrificial lamb and was, was, he is no longer a lamb. We will, all see, we will see that in just a moment. The time for sacrifice was in the past. It's done. So, and he, in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus had made purifications for sins, past tense. I think, uh, I think Valerian might, might, right here, might say, dun, dun, dun. 
Sorry. It's done. It's done. Purification for sins is done. Um, it, he is not making purification. Jesus is not, isn't in heaven at the right hand of the Father making purification for sins. He won't, he's not, he won't, it doesn't say he will make purification for sins. And it's not some act, purification from sins is not owing to some act of obedience from us, like taking communion or doing more good and doing less bad. Jesus made purification for sins, not me and not you. It's done. My Bible plan gives me a couple chapters from the Old Testament and a couple from the New Testament every day. Lately, just in time to make it into this sermon, God had me reading Leviticus. Now, the Binumarian people have shown me that even Leviticus and all the ritual procedures are very valuable to us. God speaks to us in different ways, so we can read the Old Testament to understand the New Testament here. I'm not going to read chapter 16 of Leviticus to you, where the day of atonement and all the ritual and cleansing and sacrifice of bulls and goats and sprinkling of blood and burning of livers and scapegoat and the scapegoat are all described in detail. You can read that during your daily Bible plan, but you will see if you read that, you will see it refers to Jesus. Hebrews 9:12 says he entered once for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of bulls and calves but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption for if the blood of bulls and go- of the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The sins of believers have been purified. It's done. And so Jesus sat down. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on on high. So what is our enthroned king doing at the right hand of the Father now that he's set down? Finished with all his work of atonement, having made purification for sins already. Well, it's a very glorious truth that we're going to finish with. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. Anyone that knows me knows I, say, I talk about this verse all the time. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demand to ha- demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Notice what the Lord Jesus says here. And when you have turned The outcome of Jesus' prayer, his intercession for Peter, was never in doubt. There was not a question about the outcome when Jesus interceded for for Peter there. He knows the outcome. Peter will turn. And so he told him to strengthen his brothers. And Peter did turn. So King Jesus intercedes for me and each one of us who trust him for salvation from our sins relies on him as Lord over all of our lives and loves him as our greatest treasure, Jesus, can, Jesus is interceding on our behalf. Romans 8.34, 
Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Hebrews 7.23 says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So let's go in today, into today and this week confident that we do not follow some clever religious life improvement plan, but that we actually love and trust and follow the real, living, and active creator of, and sustainer of the universe and the lover of our souls, Jesus Christ, knowing to the core of our being that he has purified us from sins and is still active on our behalf right now this very second. Thank you, Jesus.